Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Hunt for Real podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today, I'm chatting with a Michigan public land hunter named Kevin Vistason. He happens to host the Deer Hunter podcast. He creates some films, and he's a big woods addict. Kevin brings to this podcast a pretty pretty interesting perspective because he's actively trying to find areas that he can really, really get away from the crowds and go have some hunting to himself, which often means going deep into the big woods, which is one of the hardest places to kill a mature buck. This was a really neat conversation for me to have. Some of his strategies really parallel mine, and some of them are a lot different. So I learned some some pretty neat stuff from Kevin. I think you're going to learn a fair amount from him as well. If you haven't subscribed to the Hunt for Real podcast, please do so. You'll get every podcast we drop as soon as it drops, and it helps us out on our end. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. In one minute, everything can change, and it can become the best hunt of your life. It's a reality. Really understanding the landscape, that's what kills big deer. Hey, Kevin, how you doing today, buddy? Doing excellent. You're doing excellent, even though you're uh, you got a full day of work in and you're going to go work all night long. Uh, but at least we get to talk about deer hunting for a little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's something I don't get to do at work. So any chance that I I do get to do that, I'll take full advantage of it. You don't ha- you don't have any uh, work buddies who who hunt as hard as you do, or what? Uh, thankfully, no, because a lot of shops that I've worked at, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of guys that hunt. And uh, that will kind of limit your time off when when the season rolls around. So kind of a well, I work for a big shop. There is guys that hunt, but uh, I'm kind of fortunate that uh, maybe 10 percent of the guys do. So when the time comes to take time off, it's like no issue, which I I'm very thankful for. So not everybody's fighting for the first two weeks in November off. No, no, absolutely not. That's good. So you're you're out in Michigan, right? I am. I live in southeast Michigan. I live about a, uh, I live about 45 minutes north of Detroit. So can I ask you a question about Michigan? Yeah. Do, you, do Does everybody in the hunting community know everybody out there? No, surprisingly, no. You'd be amazed. Uh, well, so we have the highest hunter density in the country uh, per state, right? So there's so many hunters, um, and I, I'm surprised how I constantly find people just on social media and online that have big channels or outlets and things going on that, you know, even though I've been doing this for three or four years now, I, I never heard of them, seen them, know them. So no, you know, that might change now with the pace that people meet each other via social media, uh, people are definitely more connected now than they ever have been, but uh, I'm still constantly meeting new people. I, I ask you that because when when we chatted on the phone, you know, you mentioned you know Ronnie Bame from the the Hunting Dog podcast, and he's tied into the Meat Eater crew, and it seems like seems like everybody knows everybody, but there's a lot of uh, there is a lot of good hunting content coming out of Michigan based people. It's it's interesting to see. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, heavy culture mm-hmm. here you know it, it's got its pros and cons right the woods can get, get kind of crowded but uh 
the pros, I think, heavily outweigh the cons because when it comes down to needing support, um, you know, at a political point for hunting rights and for public land and stuff, we're usually like we show up in big numbers. So, yep, that's that matters, man. And you see, you kind of can watch what's going on in Colorado with the stop the wolf thing and. There's a few states that were, you know, sort of traditional hunter strongholds, like you'd view Michigan and Pennsylvania and a few other states, and they're not so much anymore. The, you know, the demographics have shifted and the, the rural areas, they're getting a little bit smaller and the metro areas get a little bigger and that hunter voice is getting diminished. And that's one thing when you hear people bitching about, oh, there's too many guys on public land. I see too many hunters. I'm like, man, the alternative is not good for you either. So you you might have more hunters on public land, but be in a state like Michigan where hunters are going to have a hell of a voice, or you could be in a place like California where, hey, there's probably way fewer hunters per capita. You know there is, but they don't have any voice. Yeah. No, to me, that sounds like the end of the world, (laughs) Uh, to be honest with you. uh, Yeah, and I, I try to... I try to preach that to people because I I see a lot of people online venting frustration about, um, well, you know, the standard thing here in Michigan is people want it to be like Kansas or Iowa and be a big buck state. Uh, They want deer to be able to grow to maturity. And it's just not it's not really what the state lends itself to. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it does lend itself to is a, a lot of deer, a lot of opportunity, uh, a lot of rich history. And then, like I said, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, as the years go on and thing, bad things do happen and people do lose hunting rights and access, Michigan will continue to be a stronghold because we do have the numbers of people that do show up and vote on these kind of issues. So, you know, the pros heavily outweigh the cons, I think. Yeah. And, it, you know, that leads us to the you know the defense of public land and you know why so many of us are like just just fighting to keep that because the access part is something we have a say in you know you can't you know some some farmer wants to lease out his ground to somebody who wants to grow big bucks we don't really have a say in that and that's okay like that that's just part of it but we can fight for keeping public land around and we can fight for these programs that allow public access on private land and and at least keep our foot in the door on that kind of stuff. And I really think, you know, we've seen that happen out West. We, we haven't really fought it too hard in the Midwest or the East to the same capacity, but we will. And I think paying attention to that and being grateful that for that matters a lot. Yeah. For me as a taxpayer, I mean, I'm in my mid thirties. I have a, a good job. My wife has a good job. I see what we bring in financially as a household. And then I look at those, those tax dollars that go out and that's how I cope with it. Like public land is my return on my investment. And I guess that's why I'm never willing to give up like a single acre of it because I'll never in the history of my life watch my taxes go down. It's not going to happen. So I'm not willing to give up anything that I get in return. And yeah, I know we get city services and, and a lot of other things out of taxes. But for me personally, what I get out of it is access yep. and pretty much unlimited hunting opportunity in my eyes. I mean, here in my home state, we have, I believe it's 7.6 million acres. I don't think if I even, I think even if I was unemployed and I lived out of a backpack, I couldn't see that in my lifetime, let alone just starting to travel out to other states. So 
you know, that for me, at least uh, in the here and now, that is, uh, it really makes me happy. I don't, I don't mind paying my tax money in because I know that land's here and I get to use it for, you know, the, my, my true passion, which is deer hunting. Yeah. And you know, there's something, there's something brewing in the industry a little bit with, you know, you, you mentioned the public land and having all that access and then, you know, you have it for deer hunting. You will always have a place to deer hunt, hopefully, you know, I mean, that, that public land's not going to go away probably. But there, we're, I feel like we're kind of missing the boat a little bit on all the other opportunities too. Like I think, I think it's easy because because whitetails are like the keynote species. We're all obsessed with them, and that's what we're focusing on. And you know, if you live in the states like you and I live in, they're the that's it, man. That's what you're hunting. But there's so many opportunities out there, and I was, I've been thinking about this in just in kind of practical terms, like where I hunt in northern Wisconsin. Not only do I hunt whitetails in the big woods up there and love it. But I also hunt woodcock and grouse and snowshoe hares and cottontail rabbits, once in a while squirrels and ducks. And I have hunted turkeys up there too. And you think about that, that's like, you know, eight species that are available in one, I'm only hunting one county and I haven't touched the public land there. I mean, it's like, like you said, it, it, there, there's so much out there and it's, I think, I think in some ways we got to figure out a way to spread that message a little more like, yeah, the, deer you know deer are getting out there people are understanding like you can go hunt deer on public land they can see the videos guys like you are making but there's there's a lot more to it than that and we i think we need to promote that and get as many people on board as possible with just the idea that it's there for all of us and we need to protect it yeah you know it's a good time there's a lot of good representatives right now uh there's so many good people out there that are saying the right things mm-hmm. and you know, with the onset of the meat eater guys, you know, what I don't know when they really came on the scene. You might know better than me to when they really, you know, their voice started being heard and people started maybe paying a little more attention to that. Um, and then the shows come out where like Ranella, I just use him as an example. He's obviously a Michigan guy. You know, you're talking about the content that comes out of Michigan. That guy's simply amazing as how he can see something and put it into words and explain it in a manner that even somebody like myself that's been deer hunting for 20 years, this stuff's been right under my nose and I didn't really recognize it. And not only did I not recognize it, but I certainly struggle to put it into words to explain it to people that haven't seen or done it. Mm-hmm. So I believe that we're starting to do a better job of explaining that to, to people. But unfortunately we're also in a time where people are, um, they're just way less tolerant. I feel like people are always just kind of ready to to go off at the at the smallest thing. I don't I don't know what that is, but I think that's one thing that we definitely really have to work on is, is like a tolerance thing as the hunting community and realize that we are all in one boat under one roof and we're we're just notorious as a community for shooting holes in the boat and uh you know not the, I guess that, you know, the, the, the activists do an amazing job of aligning their efforts and coming together and having a strong voice. And as hunters, if, if we could do a better job of aligning our voices, we'd be unstoppable about moving this thing in the right direction by, I mean, science doesn't lie. It, we use, science-based facts i mean that's what our system works off here in this country 
not emotions and opinions. To me, those carry zero value. The science is what I always look at. So if we can do a better job of portraying that stuff versus, and and I guess what leads me into that is the tolerance thing, the anti-hunting community, people are real quick to just get angry with those people. And especially with the onset of social media, I mean, you read through some of the comments and stuff and it's just unreal what people will say. It really is. It's unreal what people will say to each other, but I get it. They, you know, they get upset and they get aggravated and that's their, their outlet. But if we could become a little more tolerant of those people's views and opinions and fight back with science and facts that actually matter. Um, like I said, those guys at meat eater are, are kind of, I, I feel like, you know, they're leading the charge in uh, putting the best step forward to try to convince somebody that's a, an anti that we're here doing the right things, that we're not just a bunch of barbaric cavemen that are trying to satisfy our own, you know, personal uh, whatever it is, that those are the guys that I would tell them, hey, sit down and watch some of this and maybe you'll have a better understanding. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think their message, that's part of the reason their message has, has resonated so well is it's a, it's about the experience. And if you're successful, it's about the entire process. It's not, you know, just a grip and grin and you're off to the next thing. It's here's what we're doing with the meat. Here's what we value. And it, it just resonates. It resonates with us as hunters. It resonates with people who aren't hunters at, to a level that I would have never thought possible till Ronaldo pulled it off. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And honestly, you know, I remember I remember reading hunting magazines and stuff when I was in high school and getting into college where, you know, at one point in it might have been the late 80s and then through the 90s where the anti-hunters were the threat, right? Like, oh, the, the antis are the ones who are going to take this away from us. I, I personally, I mean, yeah, obviously we got to pay attention to them. I don't think they're as big of an issue as we are in some ways. And and I say that because, you know, I've, I've done episodes. I don't know if you know Pat Durkin or not. We did an episode about the, the opportunities we've lost because hunters have voted to take away opportunities from hunters. And I always use South Dakota as an example because, you know, you as a non-resident can't go hunt public land for deer for the first month of the season now out there in South Dakota. And that's that's something I did, you know, five, six years in a row, that was something hunters took away from me, <laughs> you know, cause they wanted, they wanted better hunting on public land. I know a lot of hunters in Colorado that would, if they could wave a magic wand and keep the non-residents out and have those elk to themselves, they do it in a heartbeat. And so what makes me nervous is, yeah, we know those anti-hunters hate us and they want to shut us down, but man, the people who can actually make that happen in these small steps, sometimes they're the people who are supposed to be on our side. And that makes me nervous, not just not just for me losing opportunities, but I think about my kids and I just, I firmly believe I'm like, my, my little girls will probably never elk hunt. I don't think, I think by the time they're old enough to do it, there, there won't be an opportunity we can afford to buy into. And it'll be so limited that they may never get to do that. And that'll trickle down. That'll be, you know, mule deer will fall in line somewhere after that and antelope. And all of that stuff makes me really nervous. Yeah, being priced out of opportunity is no joke. I mean, we're watching it happen all over the country. I mean, even outside of, you know, outside of hunting, if you look at someone that's, say, they're just coming out of high school and they want to be an entrepreneur, 
and they want to start a business. I, I think I read somewhere a statistic that it's somewhere around, you know, maybe three hundred, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars if you wanted to just even have the assets to start a small little even if you had this amazing idea and it would be proven that it's just you're a lot of times people are getting locked out of opportunity just because of financial means. And if you look ahead 50 years, a hundred years, I don't know where that ends. It's kind of scary, yeah. but, uh, those are the times we live in. And those are the things that we have to be thinking ahead. You know, like you said, I, I'm not too concerned that in my lifetime that that will be the case, but man, for my son and for, for potentially his children, uh, the time is here and now where we, you know, we need to act and we can't stand to lose an inch. We really can't. We need to be gaining ground, not losing any ground. Like, and, uh, it's, it's really dead serious. I, I know people talk a lot about it and I'll have people that'll say it doesn't really like the public land thing. It seems overblown to me. It doesn't seem like that big of an issue to me right now. And, yeah, people aren't concerned about things that aren't directly affecting them in their everyday. It's not until it's at your door in your household when something hits you that you really care about it. Yeah. But like you said, if we don't all, you know, stick together and watch each other's backs on these issues, I mean, you know, the hunting community is, I don't know if it's 1% of this country, uh, we could be, you know, we could be in bad place pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we are 1% anymore. We probably are. But I mean, the, what you said, what you just said there about, you know, until it's knocking on your door, you don't really it's hard to get involved. It, it, so anybody listening to this, so think about it from this perspective. There are people in LA and New York right now who will never and vegans, whatever you want to they they're never going to go do what we do. And they're all four wolves coming into Colorado and they don't care about the rancher who says, I don't want wolves here or the elk hunter there. There's stuff like that going on right now. And it's easy to kind of sit back and go, well, you know, who cares? Like who cares about wolves in Colorado? I live in Pennsylvania or something like that, but we're all going to, eventually this is going to be knocking on everybody's door, you know? And like you said, it might not be ours. You and I might be fine, but our kids, they could be in trouble. To your point, uh, I would agree that the anti, you know, hunting movement isn't the biggest concern. The biggest concern is the people, the 98% of people in the middle that aren't hunters or aren't anti hunters. They're the people that basically aren't informed or really don't have a, a positive or a negative outlook on it. It's something that it's off their radar. They're flipping through social media and somebody posts a real graphic, nasty photo, and then you read down through the comments, and you're like, man, who are these people? Like, I'm uh, pretty opinionated in the, in the mindset that social media has to be handled very diligently now as to what we do. And I see a lot of stuff that just makes me cringe, and I very rarely will invest my time in trying to reach out to those people. It's usually a losing battle, but even this weekend I came across something that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get it off my mind. I couldn't believe these guys posted this on social media. And I'm thinking, what do you pay no attention to what's going on right now? And I, 
I know that that is a space for everybody to use, but I often think that most hunters and outdoorsmen overlook the fact that Instagram and Facebook, they're not run or owned or handled by companies that are hunter friendly. Like if they could probably push a button and delete all of our accounts, they probably would. So it's best for us when we're on those places to be on the best behavior and kind of follow suit of what people that are having a positive impact are doing. I get that people get angry and that they know they're doing the right thing, but it is hard to explain that in a, just a quick photo online. Just people need to be very diligent about how they use those resources and they can be used to as an asset, but not everybody is understanding how, how to do that at this point. And that is a really damaging thing because that, that shifts an opinion of someone that might not have had an opinion to a negative one to where when they see somebody having a wolf or a coyote stuck in a trap and the thing looks petrified and the guys haven't dispatched the animal yet and they're walking up and instead of quickly and humanely dispatching the animal, they're taking photos to post on social media to brag about what they've caught. You think the next time that a ballot comes up about wolf hunting or something to do with coyotes, you think that person's not going to have a negative thought? What, wh- where is your mindset? What are you, what are you thinking? They're not. I mean, it's, dude, I, I agree with you a billion percent on that. I think in, in so many ways with that stuff, we are our own worst enemies. And I, you know, it goes, you know, for the trapping, the people, they see a dog in a trap. They don't see a coyote. They don't see a wolf, Correct. you know, or, a, you know, somebody spines a deer and it drops and it's spinning in a circle and they're, you know, holding the camera on themselves, celebrating. And that deer's in the background, not dead, you know, right. back legs disconnected from the brain, panic, freaking out, ugly, ugly death right in front and a celebration. And this is, you know, this is something, man, I, when I got into the industry, I did some, some hunting TV and I I hated it on a lot of different levels, but what I hated the most was I'm like, it is so hard to make hunting a spectator sport. It's a deeply personal type of pursuit sometimes that real that goes real ugly and there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of things that just don't work well for video and you can make films I mean you're making films to show the process and there are people out there who are doing it who control the the content and I have that mindset like I'm I'm going to show this for the work and the effort and the the entirety of it in in a positive way but to to just create hunting content even even when you're getting paid for it for a network versus just throwing that shit out there and and letting the world see it it's just so dangerous to try to make that a spectator thing because it just doesn't lend itself very well yeah know know your audience right um if you're at deer camp with some buddies and you want to show that picture or that film you're not going to have a problem with it. People are going to understand the context of it. Mm -hmm. But when you post that on a a social media or YouTube or something where it has access to go out to tons of people that have, they don't 
understand at all the foundation of the context about any of that, it's it's just not going to work. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, so now that we've solved the world's problems, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about deer hunting. So I've been thinking about you. We we had a conversation. I don't know, three four days ago, whatever it was, week ago. And you told me that, you know, you spent a lot of time in Northern Michigan. You spent a lot of time hunting big woods stuff. And we, we talk about big woods on here a lot, but you're also, you said, man, I want to go hunt the boundary waters in Northeastern Minnesota and hunt whitetails there and make it like a three-year process and make a film out of it. And I was like, dude, <laughs> you don't want to do that. But I've been thinking about that since. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to discourage you from doing that because it could be an amazing experience. It's just it's just going to be such a tough proposition. Yeah. It's one of those things where there's a lot of, a lot of risk versus reward. Right. I mean, if I, if I did invest that kind of time, a multi-year project, uh, you know, the producer told me somewhere in the neighborhood, you know, I don't know. Most people probably have no idea what goes into, uh, the cost of making a film and we're, we're by no means, uh, a high-end expensive production but you know the reality of the time to video and travel and editing hours you know the number 50 60 thousand dollars was thrown out and i'm thinking man if we're putting that in like we you know the people that are going to stand behind that money are going to want return on their investment and I don't care what anybody says. No one really wants – people have done it. There is guys that are so talented nowadays. They can make content and not kill stuff, and people will really enjoy it. But for, for me personally, if I was going on a deer hunt and investing that kind of time, um, I'm really I'm really going to want to get a deer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I understand that that would be a, a huge struggle. And it's hard. You know, I, I'm a – I'm a plumber by trade, you know, just a working class guy. So it's not like I have unlimited funds to go on hunting trips and I, I can't take weeks and months off. So I've really got to be dialed in even when I go up north from here, you know, and then you start talking, uh, going to a different state and traveling 14 hours and you know, you only have five days. There's a lot of stress involved with that. So I completely understand what you're saying. There's there's definitely a lot of value in going somewhere where you understand that there is going to be ample opportunity. But gosh, am I drawn to that place? Uh, and and you're you're probably right. It's probably not the best place to invest time into going to make a film. But I can assure you that even if that wasn't the case, and we decided to not take that project on, I, I would. That's somewhere that I truly want to go deer hunt, you know, and I, I just listened to the podcast that you did with Mark Kenyon about his, his time and his trip there. And, uh, you know, it, it did, it did really have me thinking. So yeah, I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. It, it wasn't a discouraging thing. I mean, it wasn't anything that a couple other people had yeah. told me and that, it, but you know, in the honest too. I like to go deer hunting and see deer. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a, I can do the walkabout for a day or two and then I'll start to get really frustrated. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a tough place, man. I mean, there, I don't know in the lower 48, I mean, I'm sure there's places in the Adirondacks or somewhere, but 
if you just like were gonna say this is a big woods whitetail hunt, like pure big woods, you're not gonna be anywhere near any kind of ag or anything, and then you add in the the access issues with taking a canoe in and having to portage and stuff, like it's it's legit. I'm sure you know if you had to come up with like the five toughest do-it-yourself whitetail hunts, it'd probably be in there. Just just right. from from the density levels and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, what I was thinking about after talking to you is we're we're in a weird position where we create content around our passion. And so that that's one of the reasons why I like doing public land hunts on my own because even though there's a commercial aspect to it where, you know, I might be filming something or I'll always be taking pictures and I'm going to write about it and, you know, talk about it on this podcast. So I know I'm I'm going to get something out of it that way, but I have to maintain some kind of integrity with what I'm producing. And that, to me, that just means I have to just go do challenging hunts in new places and you're, you're only going to get four or five, six days in these spots. And so I kind of just, when I left that, I was like... I, I think Kevin's just doing this because he wants to prove he's a badass and he can do this and he wants to hunt <laughs> there. And I mean, like that's that's probably as good of a reason as any to to do it. Yeah, it wouldn't be to prove anything to anyone in that regard. Um, it would definitely be self satisfaction. You know, if if I'm canoeing out of the boundary waters uh, with my good buddy Jordan, producer, and we have a a big buck in the canoe. I don't think that, you know, I'd have to think long and hard of something that would, would make me happier than that. I would have known that we had really put the work in to, to earn that. But, uh, you know, for me, deer hunting, deer hunting specifically. Uh, and when you're talking about filming it all, it's changing now, but it had went the way of the, the farms and the fields, they lend very much to pre-roll and getting a deer coming in and, you know, rattling some horns, uh, having a decoy up, watching a deer come across the field, posture up. That is all great content. When you're hunting in the big woods, that is, uh, it's nearly impossible to do for, for my, for me anyways, the spots that I deer hunt do not lend themselves well to filming Mm-hmm. whatsoever but the the part about that that doesn't work for me is i don't really like hunting ag ground i mean i i enjoy getting out and just breathing fresh air and getting in the stand but when i really go deer hunting to like fill my own desires i don't want to hear tractors running i don't want to hear car doors opening and closing school buses coming down the road i want to be in like wilderness i want to feel like i'm in true wilderness i want to step in places where i feel like no one's you know no one's stepped here like man if i did actually get hurt and couldn't get out of here that's probably going to be the end of it for me no (laughs) one's ever going to find my body yeah uh and i'm really drawn to those places and i think allure that in in my head is that i still think that's where all the big bucks live uh Trail cameras will prove otherwise. I've gotten pretty handy with trail cameras in the last two or three years and really tried, really figured out for myself how to use them Mm -hmm. in the big woods to my advantage. And, you know, it used to just be about getting in as far as I possibly could into the deepest, thickest, nastiest stuff where no one else is willing to go. And I would spend a lot of time in those places 
and I would have mixed results. And now that I, you know, I have a, a small arsenal of trail cameras that I, that I use, I'll deploy those out in those places because getting in and out of those places literally is shaving years off of my life. Uh, they're just miserable to commute through some of these, you know, miles of cedar swamp. The stuff's so thick, you stick your hand, you extend your arm out as far as you possibly can, and you can't see your hand. Mm-hmm. You know, the the pace you move at is about a half half a mile an hour is what I can average through some of these areas. It's just that dense and that thick. Mm-hmm. So I save myself a lot of effort now by, you know, I'll run a camera for an entire season out in these places and I'll, I'll then I'll evaluate, is this somewhere that is worth going or not going? But it's funny because I could put a camera up somewhere a hundred yards off a road and this happens often, I've found, because most people don't want to hunt in those noisy areas or by roads or by traffic. And and deer are, they are smart. They have figured out how to live and cohabitate with humans and hunting pressure. So what do they do? They go where hunters don't go. And often, where do people not hunt? 25 yards off the road in a, in a thick, a little thicket, you know, and uh, often big bucks will hide out in there and I will have proof of that and I will still avoid it to go walk a mile and a half through swamp and just about kill myself to go out there and just not have to hear civilization, I guess. Mm -hmm. Dude, I, I, I totally get it. I mean, I, I grew up hunting Southeastern Minnesota where there's a lot of egg, right? You know I mean? We're not hunting big wood stuff. It's nice deciduous forests and it's small tracks of timber and I am, I'm drawn to places that allow me to get away. And it's because of that. It's, I think I have this theory about elk hunting. Have you ever elk hunted before? Uh, yeah, actually. So I've never drawn a tag here in my home state, but I've been on three elk hunts now here in the state of Michigan. I've never been elk hunting outside of the state. Okay. Well, my point with it is... When you go there, you have this idea, right? Like when you, when you go to Colorado or Wyoming, Montana or wherever, you kind of have this idea you're going to wilderness, especially if you come from the Midwest or the East where we don't have that kind of mountainous terrain typically, you know, and you get out there. And I think that's why when you, you know, you hike up to that meadow and you've been working your ass off for six hours and climb thousand vertical feet and you're five miles in, and then you see some dude eating his sandwich on the trail. And it's like, it's like easy to kind of take it personally, like, like an insult, like, well, why is this, this guy shouldn't be here like this in, but a part of it's just in your head. Like I, I felt like I was getting away, even though it really doesn't have anything to do with like, that has no bearing on how many people are actually there, you know, how many people rode in on horseback or whatever. So I think a, a certain percentage of us are just always looking for that, that solitude, like that isolation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, here in, in uh, if we're, talking exclusively in um the lower peninsula of michigan uh the upper peninsula is there's a lot more remote wilderness areas but in in uh the lower peninsula i think three three and a half miles is about as far as you can possibly get from a road so at some point somebody's been there and yeah like what you're saying it's it's amazing how much work and effort i'll go into you know i'll find a spot on a map and I'll be super excited about it. And I will, uh, 
I'll go in there in the spring and it'll just look like this is going to be the spot that's going to make my entire season, right? Everything's going to ride on this. And then you go in there maybe opening day and there's a guy sitting, you know, sitting in there and you're thinking, how in the world did you possibly ever know about this or find this spot? And yeah, frustration would be the first, you know, the first thing that sets in, but that's why I love public land. Uh, there's unlimited opportunity. I obviously didn't do my homework. It was my fault that I was there. If there's another guy there already, well, that's not where I want to be. So it's just be flexible and and move on and find the next better place. Yep. Well, that's you. You can find. You know, I've I've hunted western whitetails a lot on public land. And I feel like if you get around where there's enough other bigger big game species to kind of soak up some of the attention and, and whitetails aren't as prominent, you can you can find places for years where you can go in there and have a good hunt on public land. When you when you get around a lot of hunters and the hunter density gets to a certain level, it's like there aren't any secrets left. You know, like it's like to me, every year is sort of a blank slate. And you're, you know, you're trying to do the spring scouting and the winter scouting and you're trying to, you're trying to find that thing where like, oh man, this is the funnel I can return to on November 7th every year and kill a buck. But it doesn't really seem to work that way. Cause like you said, you know, you might hike three miles into a place. You're like, there's nobody working this hard and somebody figured out a way to get in there. And it might just be somebody working like you did or somebody who has permission to come in from some private or whatever, but all of a sudden that's blown up and it's just always the way things go on public land. So you get in that mindset, all right? Well, I know no matter how good it gets this year, next year, it's probably not going to be the same thing. Somebody might find it or the deer habits might change or something. And you're just like, okay, you're constantly on that search for the good stuff. Yeah. I'll say for me personally, a uh, big thing that's changed the way that I operate is the mobile hunting gear, you know, the lightweight tree stand, um, I use a Western style frame pack mm-hmm. that, uh, I keep all my layers, everything that I need basically to survive out of for a day or two, if I had to, uh, and then my tree stand goes on there as well. And historically, you know, the way that I was raised to hunt and the way that I think probably still a very large percentage of Michigan deer hunters hunt is, you know, they'll go in in the spring or in the fall and they'll hang a, a ladder stand or they'll put a tree stand up and now that's their spot. You know, they're, they put a lot of effort into getting that up. They're emotionally attached to it. Well, you are, you're letting other hunters know where you're at. I mean, for me now I'm putting my stand up and taking it down. I might find this absolute like money spot. So I found if I put that stand up, take that stand down, I can walk right past there, even with another real good deer hunter that I know. And, and he's not even paying any attention. And I'll be like, Hey, you notice anything, you know, look around. No, what? This is a spot where I shot that buck last year. Where, where's your stand? Well, I bring it in and out and I see things that if I need to make an adjustment, 50 yards, 75 yards, it's no problem. I just drop down and I move it and Man, when I'm in the woods, I, you know, I don't know what, what bothers me more running into and busting deer out or running into other hunters. I mean, literally if I see somebody in the woods coming, I mean, I'm always friendly and I always love to have a conversation, 
But if I can just stand still and even let them walk 10 feet past me without them ever knowing I'm there, that's what I'm opting for. I do not want to give up. I work way too hard for these spots and I I don't want to give them up. And I've, I've learned a lot too, that, you know, spots that I just would never have, I never historically would have thought they would have been big buck spots just growing up reading magazines and, and whatnot are, are some really good big buck spots like that stuff I was telling you about, unfortunately about having to listen with, to noise and maybe being near a busy intersection or cross, you know, crossroad, something like that. I mean, there's a lot of logging that goes on up in Northern Michigan and there's a lot of natural gas extraction. Mm-hmm. So there's still traffic up there. There's still noise. There's still people working. There's things going on, but, uh, I don't want to tip anybody off what whatsoever. I mean, I'll, I'll sweep boot tracks, you know, off the side of the road. I'll go in three or four or five or eight circles. If there's snow going the wrong direction, I, I just, even if I'll have people that'll stop, you know, on the side of the road, Oh, you know, how'd you, you know, see me coming out or going in, you know, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll kind of, especially locals, they'll, they'll, they want to know where you're going and what you're doing. And it's not that I'm trying to be unfriendly, but I am not giving them anything as to where, you know, or especially heaven forbid that you do have a real nice deer in the back of your truck, you know, where'd you shoot that? You know? And it's like, uh, <laughs> about 15 minutes from here. No, be a little more specific, <laughs> you know? And it's oh, like, I know, <laughs> I know, yeah. man, I, uh, we, my buddies and I used to go to North Dakota every year for the bow opener out there and hunt public land in Western North Dakota. And it's the, the deer opener would coincide back then. It was, you know, you could hunt whitetails and mule deer. You could get an antelope tag and the resident once in a lifetime elk season would open that weekend too. So the campground would be full, you know I mean? There'd be, it was all hunters and by like three, four days into it, we couldn't even keep our lies straight about what we were seeing and like what the deer we'd bumped into and everything. And we always had this deal because everybody was fishing for information, you know, especially yeah. with the, with the, uh, you know, drawing a once in a lifetime elk tag. Everybody's like, Hey, see any elk? Where are they? And it was, a, we saw a lot of road hunting and a lot of stuff. So we would always pick somebody who just seemed like they were working their asses off. Like this, this guy's camping by himself. He's super nice. Or this lady drew a tag and they're out every day and they haven't asked us for help. And then at the end of it, we just give them our scouting report and say, Hey, we saw a six by six in this drainage and or whatever, you know, just, just to help them out. But that, that fishing for information thing is, that is way more common than people probably realize when you're in this position. Um, I want to talk about you mentioned the the frame pack, the Western frame pack, and I was going to bring that up because I watched your film and I was like, this might be the only guy using a bigger pack for whitetail hunting than me because I'm <laughs> I'm using my mystery ranch. You know, I, I'm I'm in the same boat. I, I carry a lot of stuff in and have that mobile setup. And it, what what you talked about, it sort of led to your your comfort with that setup, and you're just you're so willing to be mobile and instead of being the guy who brings in a ladder stand on a four wheeler or whatever has stakes his claim on that one spot. And I think, I don't, I don't want this to sound bad, but I think what the, the further you can get away from being what a typical gun hunter would do, 
the better you'll be off as a bow hunter. And so, and I don't say that to shit on gun hunters, but that's like the, the mentality, right? You have your stand and opening weekend or whatever, you just go there and that's where you sit. Rain or shine, whatever wind direction, you hope that deer crosses the power line or they come across the clear cut or whatever. But that's just, a, that's like a, you're just, you're just crossing your fingers and you're hoping. That's yeah. a luck based strategy and it's not a very good one. But if you're, if you, if you go the other direction, you're like, man, my stand is on my back and I will put this sucker up and take it down 85 times in a season if I have to to kill that buck. You're going to be a hell of a lot closer to killing that buck, I think. I think a lot of content that uh, was put out for whitetail hunters kind of lent itself to tell us to sit back and let deer come to you. There's all kinds of different products on the market that can help you uh, in this manner. That That's what you need to do. You need to create an environment to bring deer to you. And I fell prey to that for a long time. So I, I grew up with a family that hunted, um, but they also worked a lot. And so I had exposure to hunting, but I never really had uh, like a mentorship. My dad... He was more in it for the social camaraderie of going to deer camp. My grandfather, went, you know, when he grew up deer hunting, it was literally about going out to get something for the family to eat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you try to explain to my grandfather that you passed a buck. <laughs> and, uh, you, I mean, you're not going to hear that. He's just never going to grasp that concept, yep. right? So I grew up reading a lot of magazines, watching a lot of TV content, and that all lent itself to do this, do this, do this, create an environment that is going to bring deer to you. And it wasn't until really later in life that I found some special outlets that basically said, if you want to be a top tier deer hunter, if you want to be consistently um, more successful than everyone else around you, you need to forget all and any of that. Actually, you need to go the completely the opposite way. You need to be aggressive need to be willing to make moves you have to go to deer mm -hmm. and and i think really when you when you actually when you even look up the word hunting in the dictionary it is the pursuit of game it doesn't say anything about sitting and waiting for game like it is the pursuit and so that's what i got into and then i started figuring out it's really tough for me and the weather that we have to hike in somewhere a mile with a tree stand with a set of bibs on and a big jacket. You know, I need to be comfortable to where I can hike and carry 35, 40 pounds on my back and not be a sweaty mess. But I also need to be able to sit in. I've sat in 20 below zero. Mm -hmm. So for me, that Western pack made all the sense in the world. I can put everything that I need in there very comfortably. I have one that uh, I think it goes from uh, 4,000 to 1,000 cubic inches, if I'm correct. So it compresses down to basically nothing. If I want to just have a hooded sweatshirt in there, it's not uncomfortable or bulky whatsoever. But if I need to put a bunch of stuff in there, I put it in there. I, I compress the pack down, and then my stand goes on there with compression straps on top of that and what that allowed me to do is just first of all get a pack that is comfortable for you mm -hmm. right because people say all the time especially with the onset of the saddle hunter and people trying to find all kinds of ways to cheat weight 
which I get, but I, I try to explain to people, well, it's, it's not really an issue for me. It's I'm super, I'm never not comfortable. And I, I, I will stand on that. Like I am a bit of a comfort queen when it comes to hunting. I do not want to do anything and be uncomfortable. So all the layers and the gear that I choose, uh, up to having a pack that was, you know, custom measured and made for my body. It's just, it's really changed the way that I have the ability to go out there and stay out there. I'll tell you this, this year, the day after opening day, I sat opening morning. It was two degrees. It was windy. It was just, it was cold. Most guys by 10 o'clock in the morning, you could hear the distant sounds of trucks starting up and going down the roads by nine 30, 10 o'clock. Everybody was pretty much going in and I sat all day and I came in that evening and an older gentleman grabbed me by my jacket, like moderately aggressively. And he's like, what are you wearing? How did you sit out there all day? How is that even possible? Let me see. What is this? You know? And I, I just explained to him as like, I have a system. I've used a couple of those charcoal. I don't know what the chemical hand warmers are. You know, the ones that you open up the little packs and I'll, I'll use placement of those on my body and in my pockets and stuff. And, and I can maintain a good comfort level. I do not enjoy sitting out there. And in my mindset, especially for whitetail hunting, I get fidgety if I'm cold. Yep. And if I'm fidgety, nothing will kill you worse in the deer woods than moving around. I mean, that's just how you're going to get picked and it's how you're going to get busted. It's what game animals are looking for. So if I can be comfortable, I can sit there motionless. And yeah, I've really, really over the course of the last two, three years, got my system dialed into whereas it's cool that I can have my, my backpack, that whole thing. I can just toss that in the truck and I could drive across the country and and get out and put that in and just go deer hunting. I, I, I used to drive up North with a truck, a bed load of stuff, you know, three or four stands, everything for the whole weekend. And now it's like, wow, I can consolidate all this down into a backpack of what I really, really need. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I, uh, I feel, I feel especially in the last few years that I have gotten my system so freaking dialed that I'm not intimidated by any all day sits going in anywhere. I know, you know, is as long as it's legal and wherever I'm going, I know with that pack I can break down a deer and pack out the whole thing. If I have enough time to break it to bone it completely out and just just having the the confidence and the comfort level that those packs provide. And you know, you, you mentioned 35, 40 pounds in there. I mean that's that's not that much in a good pack, you know. I mean it's it's really not when you when you start no. when you get into like packing an elk out or something, or you pack a whole deer out, you see what you know heavy is packing. You know to get your stands and your sticks and your harness and your layers and the food you need for the day and the water and the coffee, whatever else you bring with you, camera gear, and you're sitting there at forty pounds. It's not that bad. It's not that bad at all. And, and you have everything you want for the day. Yeah. And I'll take extra stuff. You know, I've had people say, gosh, you take a lot of stuff. It's like, well, I can, I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable. And to be honest, I'm more comfortable wearing that pack. And we, my brother and I have talked about this because, you know, we're in the trades, right? So we work hard all week. Um, We're usually sore by the end of the week. 
And you'd think that putting 35 or 40 pounds on and going stomping around the woods, it doesn't sound like much fun, but that's about as good as I feel. I feel like a lot of times if you have the right one, it's, it's actually good for your, your posture. It pushes down, you know, in on your lumbar, the weight's sitting on your hips. It's not on your shoulder. It's not on your spine. If you've never had a, a real good, high quality pack, it's hard to, it's hard to understand. Yeah. I've had 75, 80 pounds in there and I'm like, it's pretty crazy how comfortable I am right now. I mean, you, you can tell after you go a distance, you can feel that weight. Like you were just saying, yeah, that'll get heavy, but it's doable. 35. Yeah. You, I mean, really you get used to it, right? You, you have that on so much that I, it's like, I, I don't even pay attention or, or really notice it to be honest with you anymore. So yeah, anybody and a good pack becomes part of you and part of your system, and it, I think it'll it'll literally change who you are and how you hunt because it gives you the ability to have what you need to go where you want to go. And the more you're out there, especially when it comes to big woods deer hunting, there's nothing that is going to favor you more than time mm-hmm. being out there, just simply being there when other guys aren't. I very often shoot my deer when everybody else is up at camp having a sandwich mm-hmm. well t- yeah time in the woods is huge but the the before before we move on from this the the good pack thing you know you might think two hundred dollars will get you a good pack it probably isn't gonna <laughs> you're gonna probably no. have to spend more and it sucks i mean it's you know it's like the the base layers and good good clothing like it's expensive, but you know, you buy a good pack and you spend 500 bucks on that pack, which probably seems nuts to whitetail hunters. But like, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, forget, forget the call sense lures, all that stuff right away. Think about the stuff you need to get out there and be mobile and go to the deer. A good pack, if you take care of it, it's going to last you years and years and years, and it is going to make your life exponentially easier. And so you know, everybody goes out and they cheap out on a pack and then they've got that pack that feels like the old grade school backpacks that's pulling on your traps and sucks and swings when you go over a fence and just, it's no good. If you buy one and learn how to use it, that fits, like you said, around your, you know, around your hips, on your waist and is, is really designed to pack heavy loads for your body, you, it will change your life. If you see an ad, a photo in a magazine or on a rack at a store of someone standing on a mountaintop with an elk head strapped to a pack that is sub $200. They got paid mightily well for that ad campaign. It's just, yeah, it's, it's unreasonable. And, And I've had guys say to me, I spent $790 on, on my pack. And if I break that up over the course of the years, and the amount of time and the work that I've used that for, it breaks down to pennies. And and I had some guys that were, you know, giving it to me for spending that much and saying that's just unreasonable, especially online when I posted pictures of it. And of course, you know, the, the quick thing is, well, of course, you know, they're sponsoring you or however, you know, you're running an ad and, I, and, I, and I'll go to their social media and they're driving a brand new $60,000 truck. Man, I paid eighteen hundred dollars for my truck. I've never had a payment on it. 
one or two of your truck payments cost what my backpack costs. Mm-hmm. I rather pull up to the trailhead in a $1,500 truck with an $800 pack and know I'm going to be comfortable all weekend and this thing's not going to blow a buckle out on me while I'm a mile out in the swamp. I mean, that's another thing. You know, you can have the greatest warranty in the world. It doesn't do me any good when I have a full backpack and I'm a mile in somewhere and and the thing explodes or a stick punches through it and the thing just disintegrates you know Uh, it's i like to buy once cry once yeah invest in invest in good stuff up front and you'll get return on investment dude i I, the first elk hunt i went on i borrowed a buddy's pack because i didn't have a pack big enough for a you know a good elk hunt he said don't worry I, i got you and it was a brand new pack and after i don't know seven or eight days in the mountains i don't think there was a zipper left on that thing that worked and i was like <laughs> it was it was like insulting and the whole thing was just a piece of shit and it, it couldn't hold up for seven and it wasn't like I, I didn't pack an elk out it wasn't like i overloaded it with 120 pounds or anything like that it was just a normal load and i see some of the people who are sponsored by that company who are like, you know, the Western hunter type people. I'm like, you, you guys are selling these to people and they're going to buy them and go on their first elk hunt and be miserable. Cause these things are not designed to handle that kind of abuse. They're just not quality. It, dri- yeah, uh, it drives me nuts, man. Yeah. It's a disservice to the hunting community is the guys that, and I, I get it. If that's what your bread and butter is and that's how you got to make your living and that's how you make your money. But I think it's a dirty way to make money is to um, promote products that you don't actually use in the field or you really know like you're going to tell somebody as soon as you're done shooting the commercial that, yeah, don't don't buy that thing. Like it's going to ruin you if you actually do. And I've watched guys that go out west on elk hunts with not the right pack pack and they literally come back and they're missing half the skin off their back. Mm-hmm. It's like, what happened to you? <laughs> well, my backpack was definitely not the one that I needed, you know? So yep. I understand exactly what you're saying. Oh, dude, I, I packed out a buck in a, uh, in a backpack last year. Did I wanted to do it all on one trip. So I broke him down out there in the field and I had to cross, I think three barbed wire fences to get back to my truck and every one of them, I was like, well, I'm going to die because I had that way. And it just wasn't the whole load would shift on my back. And, you know, I mean, that's it was a lot of weight. And it was just like this thing is just not designed to carry. It's just you you could just tell like it wasn't it wasn't what you needed it to be. And so, yeah, I, I, I hear you, buddy. I get pretty picky on that stuff. I mean, it just it 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 not only matters to your effectiveness in the woods and the style that you're hunting. But it really does affect your experience and how much you enjoy it. And that's that's something we miss a lot because we talk about, you know, hey, how do you kill big bucks in the or in the big woods? Or, you know, wh- what's the best way to kill a big buck? But really, a lot of the stuff we talk about is it's giving you a chance to enjoy that experience better, which leads back to what you just said, which is time in the woods, time in the woods, time in the woods. If you enjoy it more. And you're not miserable because you have crappy gear. You're going to be out there more. And guess what? <laughs> you're going to kill more deer. I got a buddy that makes fun of me constantly. He's a minimalist, right? He takes a bow, maybe a knife. Like, that's it. 
and uh, he makes fun of me and he says, you know, you take more on a on a one day deer hunt than I would take on a one week camping trip. And I tell him, yeah, but every post you ever post on social media is about how miserable you are, you know, how cold it is, how nasty it is, how you had to sit in there. I don't make those posts. I'm never uncomfortable. I am as comfortable or more comfortable when I am sitting in my tree stand than I would be if I was sitting on the couch in a pair of pajamas watching football. Mm-hmm. And and that comes down to the, the clothing that I'm choosing to wear from every aspect of it, from my socks to, you know, my outer layers. I am just extremely comfortable. And when I am, I'm not thinking about being uncomfortable. My mind is in the game. I'm focused. And the, the same thing with having a good pack. If you have a pack that fits you real well and it's not shifting around and moving, I mean, I take a lot of stuff, but the second that I step away from that truck, I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. Like I have my nothing in my hands besides my bow and my release. And I'll watch guys that, you know, they got two armfuls uh, of stuff. Well, you're not really ready if anything happens. Like you're, you definitely have the potential to miss an opportunity here. So I like the fact that as soon as I, you know, like I said, I step away from the truck, I'm, I'm hunting. Uh, if I need to drop that thing, I can click a couple buckles and do so. But I really even feel like I, like I need to do that. I'm often feel that I truly am more comfortable having that thing on than, than off. Yeah. You, you learn the lesson. Probably everybody learns this lesson at some point. Like you, sh- you should have your bow in your hand if you're walking through a woods that you can hunt, <laughs> because you should have your bow and your release. Man, I will. I'll never forget. Man, this was quite a while ago, probably ten years ago or more. I was mule deer hunting uh, western south or western North Dakota with a buddy of mine, and it was kind of a rainy, drizzly day, and there were it was just on. We were we were seeing lots of deer, and we were. It, it was just fun conditions. The deer were up and visible. And what happened is we were, we had to go under a fence and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but one of us kicked his bow or, or put some weight on his quiver and it snapped his quiver off. And so his little quiver connect on his bow was broken. And so I had a quiver that I could make it work so I could, I could fix his and I had to end up using a, uh, just a, like a pack mounted quiver, you know? And so I'm like, ah, no big deal, whatever. I'll use this thing. But it was kind of a pain in the ass. And I asked him at one point, we'd finished up a stock. I said, Hey man, strap that, that quiver to my pack. And so he strapped it on, but he strapped all my arrows in on the, instead of strapping like the, the, you know, sure. mounting bracket of the the quiver. And so yeah. we're sneaking down this ravine. I'll never forget it. And this nice mule deer buck gets up and stands right on the edge. And I'm like scrambling, scrambling, scrambling to get an arrow out there. And I'm thinking in my head, 40 yards, 40 yards, 40 yards. And I couldn't get that arrow out. And he had strapped all my arrows in. And eventually that buck bounded off and I ranged and it was 42 yards. And I was like, <laughs> you can't, you can't strap my ammo in there. But it was just one of those times where you're like, if you don't, if I don't, if I would have had everything ready, just sneaking through there, probably would have killed that buck. But one thing wasn't ready, and he got away. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, a big asset uh, about having a great pack is I'm kind of an organizational freak. I like to have things where I know exactly where they are. They're readily accessible. It's all part of my system. And if you 
there's so many good options for backpacks now. It's just incredible. Um, and it's very specific. The one that you're going to want is going to be very specific to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I have a place in my backpack where everything goes. And I, you know, it, to me, it's it's just a, a confidence and a comfort thing that I know exactly where everything is when I need it. And yeah, I mean, it's exciting for me to even look at backpacks and see the new stuff that's coming out. Because like, man, at some point, something's going to show up that's going to be what I have, but better. Yep. And uh, I bought my pack and I spent all that money because I, I foresaw that I would use it for X amount of years and then I would hand it down to my son. It was going to be a lifetime investment. Yep. And, uh, you know, at some point that means that I'll get to buy a new <laughs> one. And, and the way that, it, I mean, there's never been a better time to be a deer hunter, in my opinion, as far as gear goes. I mean, I, I'm seeing posts right now of people heading to the ATA show. So all the companies are teasing their new products. And I mean man for a mobile especially for a whitetail hunter a big woods hunter a mobile deer hunter i mean the tree stand options the backpacks the clothing the saddles it's just it's unreal and uh i I tell people all the time you know figure out what you want to do figure out what's going to fit your needs the best don't be too concerned about what anybody else is doing because i feel like as whitetails that's one of the things that we were talking earlier about people shooting holes in the boat and getting at each other People talk about deer hunting and they talk about it in specific as if everyone's situation isn't wildly different. And I mean, mm-hmm. whitetails range all through the country, right? So everyone's situation, even if you're in a different part of a county, the situation can be wildly different. So I tell people, you really got to look at what you're doing and you really got to break it down and you really got to figure out what's going to work for your needs. Don't pay too much attention to what other people are doing. I mean, look at what they're doing, figure out how that's going to work for you. And if it's not going to be the best option, move on. Cause you're going to find, once you find what is going to be the best one, you're going to fall in love with it. Yeah. Well, that, that point there about, you know, how, how vastly different everybody's deer hunting experiences can't be stated. You, you can't overstate that. And that that's one of the major problems we have with hunters right now is it's so easy to look at hunting through our little tiny view of what we do. And so, you know, it's like, oh, if, I, if I'm the guy who hunts the 40 acres that his uncle owns and I have a little food plot and stuff like that's that's the scope in which you view hunting. You know, if you're a public land hunter from Pennsylvania or somewhere, it's just we and we all do it. It's very easy to get locked into that little myopic view. But the reality is everybody is out there doing vastly different things and has to understand like you can learn something. You know, you might live in Iowa and hunt public land. That guy might learn something from you when you're when you're talking about your experience hiking in. And so there is value there, but it is it is something that's highly individual. And you know, you, you have to understand that. It, it, that also even goes to, you know, people getting really upset because they're not killing big bucks when it seems like everybody else is. It's like, no, not everybody else is. Like you're just seeing every other big buck that gets killed every single year because we have social media now. There's still a ton of people out there who are not killing big bucks on a regular basis. Yeah, you're only seeing the highlight reel. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And uh it it almost gets perverted. Yep. You know, really in in comparison to the reality for what the average deer hunter that I ever knew, I mean, that was what sparked my interest to even 
to to start a platform or to make a film was that uh, I was never really able to find anything that I could fully relate to. I started getting closer and closer and closer to it, but I could still never just find like exactly what I could I could relate to, you know. So at some point I decided, well, we'll we'll just start something and see see how that goes. But uh yeah, it really comes down to the individual um being conscious and being tuned in to their specific needs and scenario. And yeah, you can take a lot from a lot of people, but man, you gotta you really have to uh you really have to mentally digest and disregard a ton of information because it's not going to be applicable to your situation. I mean, you could take, you could spend a week with the best deer hunter in what North or South Dakota, uh, that kills a big giant buck every year. And you could probably go hunt with him for a week and then go to Maine and say, I just learned how to deer hunt. I'm, I got it figured out. I spent all a whole week with the guy that kills big giant bucks every year. And then you go to Maine and you're like, I have no idea what to do here. Yep. Like, where do I even begin? It's a completely different set of circumstances, the way that those guys do things. And, uh, that's what I've really come to enjoy is watching different styles and, uh, just really, really being tuned into what's going on around you specifically, even down to the property. Mm-hmm. I mean, different properties hunt differently, oh, uh, sure. county to county. It's, uh, and what I think that that's what really separates the guys that get it done consistently from the guys that don't is the guys that are paying attention to all that stuff and then making adjustments, you know, putting that in the bank and saying, yeah, I learned, I learned from that. Don't do that again or do that again. Focus on this. That was a waste of time versus just, oh, it happened, you know, like, oh, I shot a deer. Well, why did I shoot that deer? Where did he come from? Why was he moving at 1130 in the morning? You know, deer don't do anything just because. Everything is done methodically, especially when we're talking older, bigger deer. So breaking all that stuff down and paying close attention to it. And that, I feel that mindset and that concept, man, that'll, if you get that figured out, that'll carry you through your archery equipment, your broadheads, your clothing, your backpacks, your tactics, everything. It's just really breaking everything down on a microscopic level. For sure. Um, I got I got to ask you one more thing. So we're talking yeah. big bucks. We're talking social media. We're talking all kinds of uh, issues. When you do go to the boundary waters and you, you paddle in there and you're, you're hunting, what's the smallest buck that gets a green light from you? The legal one. <laughs> the spike? I mean, That's, yeah, I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean that, like we were talking earlier, you know, Ranella and those guys made it cool to be a deer hunter again yep. or be a hunter and just in general, yep. like it, you don't have to, your, your buck doesn't have to make the highlight reel. I'm not going to the boundary waters in, you know, that's probably like you said, that's probably the, the worst place that you could go if you're chasing, you know, antler class um, I'm chasing that experience. Yeah. And so much of that experience is missed nowadays by guys that are saying, I'm holding out, I'm holding out, I'm holding out. You're holding out on a good time, man. Yep. You know how it's selfish, uh, in some regard, because you know how bad your buddies want you to just shoot a deer. Like I want to, I don't care when my buddy shoots a deer, what he shot. It's just cool to walk up and be like, yeah, man, I got one. Let me hear the story. Yep. 
yeah, it is, it is definitely great when it all comes together and you get a real trophy class animal. And I know that there's a lot of guys that have invested their whole life into making that their pursuit and they're to that point. But I almost hope I never get to the point where a, a spike or a forkhorn in some capacity doesn't elevate my heart rate yeah. because a couple of years ago I made the move uh, to start messing around with traditional archery mm-hmm. and I got on the ground with a recurve bow and I had an encounter on a property. Um, these guys had some rules and regulations of the property, no year and a half old bucks. Okay. So I'm on somebody else's turf. I'm abide by the rules I haven't shot a year and a half old buck in 10 years anyway, so this isn't going to be a problem. Well, I've got this stick bow in my hand, and this year and a half old buck comes walking up, and it's 12 yards, and it turns broadside, and I have my fingers on the string and tension on it. I'm thinking, what's going on right now? I want to shoot this thing worse than I've ever wanted to shoot any deer in my life. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it would be a big personal accomplishment for me, and it was kind of like a waking up moment to me is like, yeah, man, that's all a big part of the experience, you know, getting the kill, dressing the animal out, socially camaraderie, you know, the camaraderie around like a deer camp and getting some deer versus just waiting for the big one. So yeah, when I, when I do, when I do go, I mean, it'll be, it'll be, uh, the only governor on me not sending arrows will be my producer over my shoulder saying, don't shoot. And if you watch my film you know that i'm learning still you know uh as far as that goes because yeah man i'm out there to hunt and be successful yeah well that's you know i i at least once every couple of years i'll shoot a dink somewhere and people give me shit for it and i'm always like you know Go so just I'm I'm just glad you said that because anybody who's going to sit here and make fun of you for shooting a spike in the boundary waters, all I say is go up there yourself and and show me the deer that you kill. You know, go go travel these places that that we hunt. Anybody can hunt them. So if you think you can do better, go ahead. Like show the world. But most of these people won't go do that. You know, they won't challenge themselves to those new things or they won't pick up a trad bow and do it. And they're just, they're just kind of criticizing someone else. But I really think you want to be a better deer hunter. You go into that really challenging situation. You shoot that forky. You probably became a much better deer hunter than sitting in a place that's easier hunting where, you know, if you show up on Halloween, that buck's coming into the food plot. Like there's a lot and and that's okay. Like do, do it, do you. But I think that we're kind of in this weird place where people talk a lot about wanting to be a better deer hunter, but not really wanting to put in the work. They want to find that get rich quick product or that, that situation that it's easy, but you don't become a better deer hunter by having easy hunting. It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. Nothing, you know, the, the, the easy thing, the path of least resistance is, uh, it's human nature and it's, it's nature in general, right? Like, Everything, if you look in nature, basically tries to take the path of least resistance, but it rarely does it yield the higher return. Like it would be easier for me to say, I'm not going to get up at four o'clock in the morning when it's snowing sideways and go run outside. It would definitely be easier to do that. It would be easier to not go to the gym. It'd be easier to just whip through McDonald's, uh, 
and get get something fast to eat versus coming home and having to get 16 pots and pans dirty and then be doing dishes for 45 minutes. All that would be easier, but it yields way lower returns. It would be easier for me to probably go to a state that has higher deer density, older age class, um, you know, but that is not what I'm after. It's really not. Um, I'm after the, the excitement of the challenge and the, you know, the whole, the whole story that is encompassed around it, the, the, the challenge I'm still, no matter how hard the challenge is, my mindset is that there's no way I'm coming out of there without a deer. It's not happening. Like I'm not coming out until I legally have to, or I have a deer and that will be my mindset. And, you know, I'll try to keep a positive one, but yeah, man, I just embrace that, that challenge and getting outside my comfort zone and just continuing to grow. And, uh, I don't know when that happened. It happened a couple of years ago when I really started realizing that as like, man, I don't mind shooting smaller deer provided that I know I worked my butt off to do it. It's totally different if I'm going to go sit on a farm and I'm going to see 16 deer yep. and I, I shoot a spike knowing that I'm going to see 16 deer tomorrow. And then at some point, there's without question, I'm going to have a bigger deer within bow range. But if I pay money and invest time and take time away from my family to go travel somewhere and to sit out in the woods, I want to get a deer. And I realize what the reality of knowing my environment, what's actually possible to be accomplished here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I'm in the boundary waters and a year and a half old buck walks 20 yards from me, it's probably not going to get a pass with my mindset being, I'm going to hold out for a bigger one. Yeah. Shoot him, shoot him, (laughs) shoot him and love every second of him and eat him. And it'll be a wonderful experience. All right, buddy, where can everybody find your podcast, your films, all this good stuff that you're creating? Deerhunterpodcast.com. You can go to deerhunterpodcast.com. I I do my best to keep the website current and up to date. Uh, Sometimes it, it lags by a couple months because like I said, I, I'm, I'm in the trades. I'm a plumber by trade. I, I'm working. This is all just a, you know, a side thing and I've got a family and everything else that's going on. So it's always a whirlwind, but deerhunterpodcast.com, everything's linked from there. And, uh, the trailer for our film is there. And then also, uh, on YouTube, uh, just deer hunter podcast. There is the trailer for our film is on there. So perfect. Thanks so much, Kevin. I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Thanks, Tony. Thank you so much for listening. I can't honestly put into words how much I appreciate anyone taking the time to check into the Hunt for Real podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe so you can get the latest episodes each week as we drop them. You can also find us at huntforreal.com, our YouTube channel where we'll be putting up tips and films throughout the year, as well as through all the usual suspects when it comes to social media. Again, thank you so much for listening.